that is introduction to what we want to talk about. I just want to set things straight tonight. I'm the type of person that I want to say what I want to say, get to the point, and get out. So this is probably going to be the shortest message you've ever heard at Cornerstone on a regular weekend. Don't all applaud at once, but, uh, but stop it. But I, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse, and I don't want to just ramble on uh, driving a point home when it can be said very quickly. And my prayer for us tonight is that this, this time that we spend in God's Word looking at these verses will just have an impact, will help change our lives to understand what it really means to delight in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time in the Word that we can have, this time that we can spend um, diving into deeper into scriptures and understanding what it means to, to delight in the Lord and, and that our desires uh, will be, really be able to receive them. Lord, we commit this time to you, ask you to glorify yourself and challenge our hearts tonight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've all learned, we've heard it so many times, that God is not this genie in a bottle that you just rub the side and it pops out and he gives you uh, every wish that you desire. Contrary to what a lot of popular uh, televangelists are saying, my wife and I were watching a preacher on TV a number of years ago. And as he was talking, he was saying to the people, he said, God is desirous to give you motorhomes, nice cars, big homes, finances, great jobs. And he says, all you have to do is have the faith of a grain of a mustard seed and send me $10 and, and you'll be able to receive all these things. As we talked about that, man, I was thinking about that and racking my brain. I said, you know what, Helen? I don't think God talks like that. When you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't live his life like that. When you look at the life of the apostles, they didn't live their lives like that. And God is not desirous that we go after wealth and riches and fame. He's called us to live a humble life. So let's look at what Scripture says. When, it, when the Scripture says that God will give us the desires of our heart, that verse is one that you can believe. You can trust in it and even take it to the bank. But as with all the promises in the Bible, there are some stipulations. And what Matthew shared last week was a great segue into what I wanted to share tonight. About knocking, about seeking and asking. Doing it persistently, but this today will, will culminate these two messages, bringing it together and say, okay, well, how, what does that look like? How does that look in my everyday life? So we need to look at the stipulations that are in there. Like the passage we're looking at today so grab your Bibles, we're going to open up to Psalm 37, we're going to look at the first seven verses, we're going to read those together and then go verse by verse a little bit through these. Psalm 37, starting in verse 1, starts out, fret not yourself because of evildoers, but be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herbs. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. 
trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires. These verses here, when I, when I, when I look around us in, in the world today, I often see people who are doing evil and doing wrong, and they are prospering. And, and, it, and it's kind of frustrating at times how they, how they do that. And I look at verse 1, and he says, don't fret yourself because of these evildoers, or don't be envious of them. And, and if you look at verse 8 also, there's three times in these first eight verses that the word fret is used. And so I said, okay, when something's repeated that, I got to look that up, and what does that mean, don't fret? So that word means to rub or to agitate, to agitate violently, to disturb, tease, to make angry, to be an irritant. And so sometimes when I see evil, evil people and they're getting away with bad things, we begin to fret and we begin to get worked up by their actions. Just look at what's going on in our political scenes these days, how that that people are getting away with some heinous activities and not being held accountable by our law system, by our laws. And we begin to get agitated and frustrated and they say, oh, what's the point? I'm not even going to vote this year. There's, nobody's out there that's any good. I'm not going to do it. So we begin to fret and worry and get agitated and, and angry and it, it becomes an irritant to us. And he says, don't let that happen. Because verse 2, what does it say? He says that, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like green herbs. That's, what, that's what's going to happen to them. They're going to wither away. But he goes on in verse 3 and he says, To trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. I thought, that is a, that's pretty cool, to befriend faithfulness. Well, if you look in Proverbs 20 verse 6 it says many a man proclaim his own steadfast love but a faithful man who can find so we see things that are going on no matter what is going on around us God is calling us to be faithful no matter what to be faithful and in Psalm 12 verse 1 it says save O Lord for the godly one has gone from for the faithful one for the faithful have vanished from among the children of of man the faithful ones are, are you don't find too many people who are being faithful anymore and that's what's going on in our world today men and women who are are faithful are harder and harder to find you can look around you and and your neighbors or friends or co-workers at school in your neighborhood and, and you'll find people who are not faithful to their family, they're not faithful to their work, they're not faithful to their friends, and especially not faithful to God. So he's saying, you know, these evildoers, they're going to they're gonna appear to prosper, but they're going to fade away. So we're called to do what's good. We're called to be faithful to God. And that's what, that's what we want to look at. It brings us to our, our fourth verse there, 37, verse 4, that says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
Delight yourself in the Lord. This, this verse excites me. We have a promise contained in the second half of this verse. But those five little words at the beginning, they pack a punch to them. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Now what does it mean to delight? I want you to think back. The first time you ever fell in love with somebody. The first time you ever got a hold of a project or a, a sport or something that, that started to consume you. That started to, you just couldn't live without it. There was nothing that could come between you and that person or that project and what you were doing, that sport. You ate, slept, dreamt, and, and, and everything you did was, was thinking about that person in mind or that job or that project, that sport. If it was a passion for a sport or a project you were working on, you would be thinking about it all the time and how you could do it better or maybe, maybe, maybe I need to tweak it this little bit and I'll be able to put this together and, and do that. Or maybe if I... If I'm a, I'm a linebacker and I, I, block, I, I attack this way and I spin and go in, I could get that quarterback on that play. Or, you know, we start, we start fantasizing this. My grandson, who's eight years old, he, he's 10 years old, sorry. He's 10 years old. He plays football. And he'll be out in the backyard by himself for hours with a football, practicing his jukes and, and, and getting the ball and running and tackling. And, and he'll tackle trees. I don't know what he's doing. That's why he's got those bumps on his head. But, um, but he's consumed by that. And so he'll go out by himself. He'll go out and he does push-ups. He does sit-ups. He does all this working out on his own because he's that passionate about it and he wants to get better. This is what he's talking about, about taking delight. If you love somebody or you're passionate about something, you would never want to do anything that would jeopardize that relationship or do anything contrary to fulfilling what brings you joy? You would always be thinking about that. Well, that's what he's talking about here. To take delight in the Lord. This is what I want you to write down. Is that to truly find satisfaction and worth in Christ. It means that our hearts find peace, joy, and fulfillment in him. This is what delight means. Is that we are consumed by this. It, it's truly that we truly find satisfaction and worth in Christ. It means that our hearts find peace, joy, and fulfillment in Him. So we draw close to Him and get to know Him in such a way that, that we can sense His presence and we learn to submit to the Holy Spirit's leading. That's big. When I first went to um, Bible college, I didn't go to Bible college because the Spirit was leading me. I was immature. I'd only been uh, walking with the Lord for about a year. And I really didn't know what it meant to really be sensitive to the Lord's leading. How the Lord got me to Bible school was I had a girlfriend there. And so I went to visit her at Bible college. And I said, man, I really like this school. I think I'm going to come. And, uh, and that was the beginning of learning how to learn to be sensitive as I dug into the Word of God, as I learned to grow and become mature, more mature in my faith. Someday I will be mature, probably when I get to glory, but, but we're going to get there one of these days and we'll be able to walk side by side with the Lord. And this is what delighting in the Lord means. So when, when that happens, our desires, as we learn to delight in the Lord, our desires and His desires be, begin to meld together. 
And then as, as we're praying according to his will, God promises to grant, grant these requests. So our prayers then are not selfish, and they're not without faith. They're based on God's leading. So what does that look like? So you can, you can listen to that, but what does that look like in our everyday life? How can I apply this to my life? All right, let's say you have a desire to serve the Lord in, in maybe teaching a class or maybe going to the mission field or being a better witness at the workplace or uh, whatever it is, you have a desire to serve God. He's putting this passion, he's putting this desire in your heart. You begin by saying, God, I don't know where this is going or what you have in store for me, but I want to be obedient to your leading in my life. Start there. Say, God, I don't know. I don't know how this is all going to look. I don't know what's going to happen, but I want to trust you. I want, to, I want you to take this. The Word of God, you know, digging into the Word of God, is we see where God has instructed others in the same, same line. We seek godly counsel. We start exploring different avenues which the, this passion can be used in. One big thing is never let money be an obstacle. Never let money be the object of your question whether I should do this or not. Because what does God say? He says, I am going to provide your needs. As you walk with me, as you obey me, I'm going to take care of you. And he promises to do that. So money is never, should be, never be in the equation. God, where do you want me? There was a surgeon a number of years ago. He was a, a good surgeon here in the U.S. He quit his practice and moved to Korea. He gave up this lucrative job at the hospital and going to serve the Lord out there. His pastor one time flew out to visit him. He got there just as he was um, going into doing a pr procedure that took three hours. After that, the pastor asked him how much he would make for this operation back in the States. And he said, man, I would make a lot of money doing this back in the States. Well, how much, how much would you get here? He said, you know what? I got a few cents. A few cents and the smile of God. And then he added, but man, this is living. Because his, his consuming was not wrapped up in what he could get, what he wanted, what, what he thought would make him happy. His, his whole idea was, God, what can I do to please you? What can I do? Well, how can I delight you, God? And God gave him the desires of his heart. He went out there and served for years and years, serving the Lord and having the time of his life, doing what God wanted him to do. You know, part of the gospel, the gospel is not just salvation. The gospel is our whole life. It's, it's all wrapped up in the word of God. And, and, and as we um, learn this, it's God's desire to take this hunk of clay that we call our body, mind, and soul, and to form it into something that's usable, a usable vessel that's fit for the kingdom, and that is used in his service no matter where that may take us. And that's what we need to remember. So as you do that, God will put desires in your heart, and that those desires that you have will be his. They meld together. And so... As, as you walk with the Lord, as you commune with him, as you pray, as you read the Bible, as you are talking with other people, you're going to see the life changing. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, but, but I want to ask you this question. Think about this. 
Are you today experiencing God's favor in your life? Are you watching God answer prayers? Or do you feel like sometimes your prayers just hit the ceiling and, and really nothing's going on in your life? You don't feel this closeness with God anymore. I can't answer that question. You have to answer that question between you and God. But that's what I want to challenge you with today. In James chapter 4, we've studied the book of James. I think it took us four years to get through it. But in James 4, chapter, verses 1 to 4, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. Those are, those are heavy words. That when our, our passions become, what can I get? I have to make the most of my life what I can get and, and, and get all these things and how much money I can save in the bank and all these things. He says, you don't get because you ask wrongly. Well, what does that word ask wrongly mean? Simply put, it's putting, it's praying outside the will of God. You ask wrongly because it's not in the center of God's will for your life. And that's because there's the division between the two of you. Because you have these desires and God has these desires for your life but you're, they're not coming together. They're not melding together. So we, we struggle, we fight, and we, we have all these issues in our life, and we blame God for it. He's not answering my prayers. I said, you know what? You got to come back to what he says here. Got to come back to the word of God. In any relationship, if you want to know what pleases the other person, what do you have to do? You have to spend time with them. You have to get to know them. You have to talk with them and, and listen to them. It's no different here. If you truly want to walk in obedience and see God answer your prayers, you need to know him. He has shown us this in, in a number of verses. I want to um, look at a, a few verses that talk about God's will for our lives. There's, it's, it's laid out. I'm going to start with 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. It says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God. How many of us are thankful in all things, all circumstances? That's, that's a tough one. But he says, learn to do that. Learn to be thankful in every situation. He doesn't say to be happy about it, but he says to be thankful for it. God, you know what? I broke my leg. You know, I'm not happy about that, but thank you. You have a reason for it. Maybe you wanted me to slow down my life a little bit. Or maybe I, I had to have this surgery. Or maybe I lost my job. Or maybe this, this. Lord, thank you. I, I don't understand it, but teach me why, how I can become more like you through this circumstance. The First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles 
who do not know God. So are we distant from God because of some activity that's going on, looking at things on the internet, or there's an affair going on, or, or even fantasizing a coworker or things like that. What is that going to do? It's going to draw us away from God's plan for our lives. He says, our, the will of God is our sanctification, that you abstain from these sexual immorality things. He goes on one more verse. In Luke 9.23, says, he said, if anyone who will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is what God, this is plain. It's just right here in black and white. If you, wanna, if you want to please me, if you want to come after me, forget your own life and follow hard after me. Pick up your cross daily. And it's not easy all the time, especially when we're in the workplace and, and they say, you cannot talk about Jesus here. You can't, you can't witness. You can't hold a Bible study here. What are you going to do? We have that cross we have to bear. What if, it's, what if it's in a situation where you know you are innocent of a charge, but yet you find yourself on the other side, that you're being accused of things? God, you know what? Help me through this. You know, I want to take up my cross daily. I want to follow you. I want to be thankful. I want to keep my life pure. And I want to take up that cross daily and follow you. God, I, gotta, I need your help. Because I want to delight in you. That's the beginning. That's how we dive deeper into his word. And we get further in, in getting to know him. And we begin to experience that joy and delight that can only be found in him. Now, what does that look like? I hate beer and alcohol. I've never had a taste for it. Even when I was in high school, before I became a Christian, I didn't like it. But I bet you this. If I started drinking a little bit each day, a little bit more each day, a little bit more, it wouldn't take too long before I began to crave it and enjoy it. Am I right? How many like Diet Mountain Dew? It's my favorite. And, uh, but I think if you didn't like it, but if you started drinking it over and over, you would finally get the, the, the hint that the Diet Dew is the best. <laughs> but that's the way it works, is that we just start out a little bit it's hard. It might not be easy. When I first went to Bible college, they required that we spend 15 minutes in devotions each morning. I said, what am I going to do for 15 minutes? I can read a few verses and I can pray for my mom and dad and, and my brother and sister, but that, that would take about four minutes. But as I did it more and more, I found myself waking up at five o'clock every morning to spend an hour and a half before breakfast in the Word. And just pacing back and forth in my, in my study, praying for this whole list of things, is because it became something that was important to me. It became a desire, it became a passion. So when we delight in the Lord, how can we do this? We start by daily spending time with Him and getting to know His Word. Turn off the TV. Turn off the secular music. When I go in, what I like to do when I go, ride with people, I, I listen to what they're listening to on the radio. So you all warned now, if I go for a ride with you, you'll put it on Word FM or something. But, but when, when I'm riding, I, I listen, okay, are you listening to the hawk? Or are you listening to oldies? Or are you listening to country? That sinful stuff? Oh, man. But uh, I'm just teasing. There are a few country songs I like. But um, other than that, no. They're always getting my dog lost or whatever. 
So turn that off and, and start listening to some stations that, that have the Word of God being taught or Christian music that you can fill your mind with that. When I, was, when I would struggle with things in my life, what I found myself doing is, is turning on, when I'd be tempted to think about things I shouldn't be thinking about, I would turn on the Christian station and have that playing in the background. And it helped me to resist the temptation because those words were there and it was telling me, God's right here. You can't hide from me. I'm right there. I'm watching. And it helped me to build up a resistance to the temptations. When, when Pastor Tim assigned this portion of scripture to me, I got excited. Because, because I became a Christian over 42 years ago. <laughs> that year. But one thing that I can promise you is, is that if you delight, love, honor, hunger, and thirst after, after righteousness, after the Lord, you will definitely see and experience some things that you've never experienced before. I may not be wealthy in this world's eyes, but I am a rich man. I have so many people around me. Just this last week, Helen and I were up in Maine doing the, a reconnaissance for the bike trip, and we only had to spend a night in a hotel once, the whole week, because we have friends everywhere along along the way that we, they said, yeah, come and stay with us. Come and join us. I may not be rich financially, but I have houses all over the U.S. that I could stay at any time. It's because God has blessed me abundantly with a lot of friends and, and, and things like that. I have 5,800 friends on Facebook. I want to tell you that. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. I'm, not, I'm lying. But... As we delight ourselves in the Lord, He's going to take care of us. And so I can go almost anywhere and then have someone that I can be a friend with. Okay. But what about those times that God says no? What about those times that, that we don't get what we're really desiring, that we think, man, this has got to be God's will. This, is, this has got to be something else. What about that? Did God hear my prayer and, and didn't He promise to answer them? Yes, but the thing is, we're not sovereign. He is. And that's the thing we have to keep remembering. Why did my dad die of lung cancer six months after he called me and, and, and he was only 75 years old? He died of lung cancer. Why did my baby brother, on his way home from work one night, he was 42 years old, flip his motorcycle and, and die? Why did that happen? I don't know. I don't understand why, why those things happen. I may not understand these events, but, but I know that I am wrapped in his love. I'm wrapped in his arms, his ever-loving arms, and, and I can receive the comfort to be able to do his funeral of my brother, to be able to do it and, and be able to honor the Lord through that. Because I know, God, you are sovereign. You had a plan and a purpose for that. I don't understand, but you do. I'll ask you when I get to glory why that happened. And that's important for us to remember, that we receive comfort for those times. Read Psalm 139 when you get home. It's a nice chapter talking about, about the will of God and, and how, thing, how he is so sovereign over all these things. Psalm 139, read that. Do you want to see God answer your prayers? Then learn to delight in him. In closing, I want to read this letter. 
This letter was written by a young man to his fiancée, breaking off their engagement. We have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the cause every penny we make above what we absolutely need to keep us alive. We do not have time or the money for many movies, concerts, or T-bone steaks, or decent homes, or new cars. We have been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for the cause. We have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into the great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard and our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the cause, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in his small way is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing which I am dead earnest about, and this is the cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, and my mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people looks, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the cause and by their attitudes toward it. I've, been, I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before the firing squad. That young man, breaking up with his fiancée, was a communist. He was writing about that cause was the Communist Party that he wrote this letter about. And if someone can be this passionate about something that is evil and destroys lives, very destructive, how much more should we be passionate about Christ and the cause of Christ and getting the gospel out to the sin-sick world? Even Jesus, in the prophecies of Jesus in the book of Psalms, he says, I delight to do your will, Oh my God, your law is within my heart. Jesus' whole life was wrapped up in doing the will of the Father. Should ours be anything less? 